snow is gone. <laughs> it's like a Marmite question, isn't it? You either love it or you hate it. Wonderful. Lovely to see you this morning. I'm going to dive straight in. I'm going to start by sharing this um, quote from a guy called Steve Jobs. Uh, you may come across him. He's the founder of Apple. Uh, died a few years ago. But he said this during a graduation ceremony in 2005. He says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. That's wise. Your time is limited, don't waste it living someone else's life. Uh, each of us is unique, we're shaped by God, and I believe he has incredible purposes for our lives, um, and we're shaped for more. Uh, God always has more, because that's his nature. He is abundant, he is expansive, he is creative, there is always more. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and what we've been thinking about these last couple of weeks is that we are shaped for more. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, delighted that you're here. And I hope that as we search the scriptures too, we will hear about the more uh, that God has for you, the life that he has for you. And it is these ideas of being shaped by God, uniquely shaped, and this idea that he has more that are at the heart of the series that we're tracking through. And we've cunningly called it Shaped for More. Shaped for More. And so the word shape is a, is a play on words for us. It is a helpful acronym. Um, and we're working through that in this series. So the S stands for spiritual gifts. We looked at that last Sunday. And then H for heart. A for ability. C for personality. And E for our experience. And so we're continuing the series this morning by thinking about probably a whole lot of things that you care about, that you would say that you are passionate about. You might be passionate about your spouse. In fact, if you are married, I hope you are. If you have children, I hope you care about them. If you might have a hobby, you might be passionate about your football team. I am. I, I happen to be fortunate enough to support the best football team in London. There's some shade. Fulham Football Club is the best. Look, if any, best team in London. I know some of you support other teams, but, you know, enlightenment will come. Those kind of things are great, but there's something more. There's something deeper when we think about passion, because I believe that there is God-given passion. God-given passion. What do we mean by that? Well, I, I love... in this world that you care about. Give me a call that will get me out of bed and get me off the sofa. That kind of prayer. Because I believe that we all need a cause to live for. But the causes that last and that are truly worthwhile are the ones that are God-given. Where God has moved our hearts in some way. And so as you think down through uh, Christian history, the history of some great Christian people. There are some people that you say they were passionate and they lived out their passions. So here, here's just three that I've got photos of. You probably recognize at least one of them. One of them on the left-hand side is Mother Teresa. Incredible passion for the poor in Calcutta. Uh, the next one along is William Wilberforce. Passion to see people freed from slavery. 
And then the one at the right, um, the little badge probably gives you a little clue. Salvation Army. That's William Booth, who, who founded the Safe Salvation Army. Incredible passion to see people liberated from addiction, you know, alcoholism and stuff like that. So incredibly passionate people. We're going to look at the story of another passionate person this morning, one from the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, do you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1? Uh, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Um, if you have a paper Bible, his story is about that far through. Um, if you have a gadget phone with you, that's fabulous. Please look it up on that. And the words will come up on the screen. bring him this report. And what happens is his heart is moved. His heart is broken. His heart is captured by what is going on in Jerusalem. And actually what happens here is the start of him writing a new story for his people and for a city. And I believe that is possible because firstly he had his eyes and his ears open. Simply had his eyes and his ears open. You see, Nehemiah didn't hear anything new. Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians about 150 years before. And so what he heard was not new. This was not breaking news. And actually, if you read on into the story, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, and he takes this tour and sees all these piles of rubble. But one of the interesting things here, he was not seeing anything new. Everyone else living in the city saw the same piles of rubble. But they had just got used to it. And they were living with it. But God put a passion in Nehemiah's heart to do something about the broken world that he found himself living in. 
So what does that mean for people like you and I? How might we receive and grow in a God-given passion? The first thing I want to suggest is that we do the same as Nehemiah, that we live with our eyes and ears open. Live with our eyes and ears open. You'll have probably heard me ask this question before. What's broken in your community? Where are the piles of rubble? What's broken? Because we live in a world that has a lot of brokenness in it. And a lot of that brokenness we find around the globe. And it's important that we're aware and that we're concerned and that we're praying for those kind of places around the world, around our world. But most of us, if we're going to make a difference, we'll do so locally. We'll do so in the communities where we live, where we work, where we hang out. So in those places, what's broken? Where are the piles of rubble? Maybe your eyes are caught by an increasing generation that we might describe as fatherless. Maybe that catches you. Maybe you hear people talking, and what they're saying is they have this sense of no hope, that there is just nothing to look forward to, a growing sense of desperation. Maybe you're caught by stories of people with financial troubles or family troubles. Maybe addictions, those kind of things catch you. So what do you see? What do you hear? What, what catches your heart as you look around the world that you live in? And one of the things I just want to mention this morning, and I, I, I mentioned this last week when we were talking about spiritual gifts, just this this word that was shared and that I think is actually something the Lord wants to be doing in us over these next few weeks is of the Lord bringing to mind people, uh, putting you know, literally their faces into our minds, people that he would have us reach out and bless and serve in one way. And I shared that last week in the context of spiritual gifts, you know, people that we might you know, kind of reach out to and pray for their healing or that we might have a prophetic word and we would go and share that with them. But I just have a similar sense today that maybe even as we speak, just in the next 10 or 15 minutes, that there might be a person or some people or, or a demographic of people that just starts to catch your heart, that moves you in some way, that the Lord is starting to put a passion into you, that you're seeing some piles of rubble in your world, and it starts to catch your heart. So would you do that just as we track through this morning? O open your eyes and your ears to what's going on in your world. And I think it's really important that our passion is something other than temporary. What, what, I, what I mean by that is, you know, it's very easy to kind of think, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this, and it lasts for about three minutes. And sometimes we think, well, you know, actually, I'm in this situation, but the grass is greener on the other side. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll move out of where I am, and I'll go and find that country mansion. We have those kind of thoughts. I, I'm struck by this quote from a guy called Tim Keller. He, he's a pastor and an author out in New York, and he wrote this. If you are in a city or a community that is broken, where people are burned out or spiritually lost, stay as long as you can. Stay as long as you can. Have a passion that isn't temporary, but is actually lasting. So Nehemiah hears the news, breaks his heart. This is what he does Next, verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God 
of heaven. You need to remember that what Nehemiah heard was not new news. This was old news. But on this occasion, it captured his heart like it had never done before. Or more accurately, I think, that God birthed a passion in Nehemiah because he had an open heart to God. That's the second thing I want to share this morning, is that living with an open heart to God welcomes and makes space for a God-given passion. See, it's kind of back to that prayer that I shared, Lord, break my heart with the things that break yours. That's an open heart to God. That is, if you like, saying to God, please move me. Please move me. You know, I know for some of you here, because I have these kind of conversations, you may not know what you're passionate about. So if someone came up to you and said, hey, what are you passionate about? You say, don't know. My encouragement to you is, you know, I'm hoping you're part of one of the Shape for More small groups, because the materials that are going to be in those groups this week will help you to explore that for yourself. And on the video content that we're making available this week, I'm going to share some of my passions. So you might feel, you know, that's for you. you. You're just not sure. You, on the other hand, may know some of the things that you are passionate about, some of the God-given passions of your heart. And I simply want to say this morning, would you allow God to grow those things and to deepen those things within you? Simply because we're shaped for more. Wherever we find ourselves, you know, unaware or very aware, there is more that God has for every one of us. And one way that we become more open to God in this area is through prayer. Is through prayer. Because that is exactly what Nehemiah does. His heart is caught by the piles of rubble, by the brokenness in his world. And what he does is pray. So I'm going to read his prayer. It is a phenomenal prayer from verse 5. He says, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my ancestral family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about his employer, the king. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. Third thing I just want to share this morning, if we want to find out and grow and deepen in a God-given passion, is that we live with an open mouth in prayer. Live with an open mouth in prayer. And I hope you agree, Nehemiah's prayer is stunning. 
it is a great prayer. If you want a model of prayer, an example of prayer, this is a great place to start. And in fact, we're not going to have a lot of time to dig into it this morning. Um, but you may just want to take this text that, you know, with you into this week and just spend some time each day. You could take a verse a day. You, you could merrily lose quite a bit of time in each of these verses. Just dig into what Nehemiah is saying. Great prayer. Very quick overview. What Nehemiah does, he starts by acknowledging who God is. That is a really smart place to start in prayer. Acknowledge who God is. Then what he does is he says sorry in verse 7. He says sorry. You see, as God puts passion in our hearts, we may need to say sorry that we hadn't been moved before now. That we've been living with piles of rubble. And we may just need to say to God, I'm really sorry this hasn't caught my attention before now. Then what he does is he's rem he remembers that there is always hope, verses 8 and 9. He, he, he remembers these promises that even if their people are scattered to the farthest horizon, that God would gather them back again. And so it is the reminder to us that there is always hope. No, ever ha no matter how high the piles of rubble might seem, however deep the brokenness might run, there is always hope. Why? Because Revelation 21, Jesus says to us that I, he is making everything new. That's the end. If you want to know how history ends, that's it. It's a good ending. Jesus returns and makes everything new again. There is always hope. And then what he does, he says yes to being used by God as part of the solution. That is a really good thing to do in prayer, to say to God, use me. You see, sometimes in our prayers, and, and I'm sure none of you are guilty of doing this, and so I'm just speaking to myself for the moment, and that's fine. But sometimes in my prayers, I will say something like this, Lord, would you send someone to do this? And a far better way of praying is, Lord, would you send me? Would you use me? And that's the prayer that Nehemiah prays. He says, give me success by granting me favor. Not someone else. Would you give me success? Use me as part of this solution. You see, as we pray, something that happens is that God-given passion deepens in our lives and we'll be given strategies for how we might move forward in those passions. And just while we're on this whole subject of prayer, I'm going to go off at a very slight tangent and just share some news with you this morning. Some of you will know a guy called Pete Gregg. If you did the prayer course at Riverside last year, you'll have seen Pete Gregg in your living room every week because he did the videos. Um, he heads up 24-7 prayer movement. I'm delighted to say that we've invited Pete to come and spend a day with us, and he said yes. So uh, Pete Gregg is coming to speak at uh, the gathering evening service on the 13th of May. So that's 6.30 in the evening. This is like, you know, for weddings now, you send out a save the date. This is your save the date moment. I would strongly encourage you to save the date because uh, Pete is a fabulous speaker. He is inspirational. He is one of the best guys that I've listened to. So please do not miss out. Don't come to me on the 14th of May and say, Andy, did something happen great last night? Because I say yes, and I'm really sorry you weren't there. Put the date in your diary. It's going to be a fabulous evening. Back to the story of Nehemiah. 
What he has done, he's, he's prayed for favor with the king. And what you see in the account now is that there is a four-month gap between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And the implication, or what I would like to read into the story, is I think Nehemiah prayed that kind of prayer every day. He just kept praying this. And then we come into chapter 2, chapter two four months later, and one day he finds himself doing his job. He, he's the cupbearer to the king. He, he's, he's doing the drinks. That, that's what he's doing. And the king notices that he's sad. And so he says to Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, well, it's because my, my city and my people are in ruin. You know, and so I can't just hide it anymore. My heart is moved for these people, and today it is showing on my face. I'm sad for what's going on. I, I can't hide it anymore. And then this happens, and this is the last bit of the story we read today. This is from verse 4 in chapter 2. The king said to me, what is it you want? That's a great question. It's a question that Jesus so often asks people. Here it's the king asking Nehemiah, what is it you want? Now, fortunately, Nehemiah had sort of thought about it. But what he says is, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I think his prayers went something like this. Oh, God, help. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. If you're an organized type of person, the story of Nehemiah is going to just warm your heart. What I want to share is that living with God-given passion has a cost. If we want to follow through on the things that God is putting into our hearts, it will require some of our time, our energy, our resources, and our money. Because there will be times when we need to receive God's provision. And there will be other times when we need to give generously. And do you know, receiving and giving require the same posture. Open hands. If you want to receive something and you want to give something, I would suggest you live with open hands. Same posture. The fourth thing I want to share, last thing I'm going to share this morning, is that we... If we want to grow and explore and walk out God-given passion, then we need to live with open hands. Live with open hands. Because it enables us to do that. It enables us to press in to God-given passion. See, for us as a church here at Riverside Vineyard, there are passions that God has put into our hearts. And here is just a few. We are passionate about children and young people having a great experience of church and finding relationship personally with Jesus Christ. We want the succeeding generation to be the generation that succeeds. We want our ceiling to be their floor. We want them to do incredibly well. We're passionate about that. 
We're passionate about growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Worshipping, Bible-believing, Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. We are passionate about people in our communities coming to know that God loves them and that they can respond and say yes to his love and that they can receive his love. We're passionate about people being welcomed into a church community and people being welcomed back into a church community. We are passionate about compassion. We are passionate about serving the poor, the last, the least, and the lost. We are passionate about serving new communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. We are passionate about serving reasonable coffee and having the heating on. Because that's welcome. We're passionate about these things and a bunch of other things. And so one of the things I want to say this morning is that I'm incredibly grateful to all those of you who serve. You giving your time and your energy and you are being a part of working out those God-given passions that God has put into us as a church community. The other thing that I want to share is that pursuing God-given passion also needs resourcing. It needs financing. You know, we've always said in this church that ministry is expensive. Now, we don't often talk about money. We're well short of what Jesus did. If you read through the Gospels, 25% of Jesus' illustrations were about money. We're south of 25%. But it is a really important thing. It is a teaching that we take seriously because it is, I believe, the most tangible indicator of our personal discipleship. Giving indicates where our hearts are at. It, they indicate, our giving indicates how much we trust God and how thankful we are. It is a very tangible indicator of our discipleship. Now, I know and I'm incredibly grateful for the many families across this church who give regularly. Thank you so much. You may have joined the church more recently, or you may have been here for some time, but you've not gotten around yet to start a habit of regularly giving. And I simply want to encourage you today to take a step forward. So you'll see on your seats around you this morning, we don't normally put these out, but there is this little leaflet entitled Giving to Riverside Vineyard Church. There's a number of them out on the seats this morning because we just wanted to make it as easy as possible if today is the day for you to take a step forward. It is very easy to complete and to set up regular giving by a mechanism called standing order. There are other ways to give. I think some of the details are in there, but that is often one of the easiest ways. It is the way that Bethan and I have always given to this church. Um, and our pastoral staff team to continue to give regularly in that way. And then if you are a UK taxpayer, the declaration that enables us to claim tax back from the government is included in that leaflet as well. Last year, we claimed back somewhere around about £90,000 in tax from the government at no cost to anyone who had given. That makes an enormous difference. You know, that is a lot of donuts and coffee. That is a lot of storehouse families that are given food and clothing. That is a lot of people that are visited in prison. That is a lot of children and youth that are being helped to find Jesus for themselves. And a bunch of other things. Just because people have signed a piece of paper. So you may have started giving, but maybe you're not where you want to get to. Maybe you have a goal in mind of the proportion or the percentage that you want to get to. And you know you're not there yet but you want to get there. 
and maybe you get the idea of tithing as a yardstick for generosity. You've made a start, but you know there are steps to go. Well, I want to encourage you this morning. Why don't you take another step today? Maybe God is nudging you forward. Maybe for others, you say, well, I'm already tithing. Maybe God is nudging you to exceed. I want to say to us all this morning that in this area, we can trust God. We can fundamentally and 100% trust God. My, my, the story of myself and Bethan's giving is this. We have, we have tried to just incrementally increase our giving each year. And each year we are just amazed by how God has looked after us. Every year. To trust God. You can trust him in this area because I know that he will not let you down. So I wanted to share this today because of the reality that following God-given passion as a church community has costs. We've always said that doing ministry is expensive. And as God expands opportunities in front of us, as we see opportunities for the kingdom to advance, I simply don't want us to miss out. In fact, I want us to do the opposite. I want us to press in. Thank you. 